0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is senior pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, it's a prayer that has been recited for centuries now, millennia, um, by Christ's followers. And um, it's commonly known um, by um, the Lord's Prayer, or in some traditions, Our Father. And um, it's really kind of a mis- misnomer when we call it the Lord's Prayer because Truthfully, it's not the Lord's prayer. It's our prayer. Um, The prayer was given by Jesus to his disciples when they said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Every rabbi teaches his followers, his disciples, how to pray. And so they asked him on one occasion, it's recorded in Luke's gospel, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he gave them this prayer. Now, the problem with it is, is that we have recited it. We probably know it, most of us, by heart. Um, with varying versions depending on whether you pray for uh, forgive us our debts or our trespasses, but there's, it's a common theme and, it, and it's, it's been pre- and uh, prayed over and over again by followers. But the problem with it is this: is that it has almost, in many cases, become exactly what Jesus taught not to become—mindless <laughs> repetition over and over and over again. He didn't give us this prayer to just repeat over and over by rote until our minds go numb. (laughs) He gave it as a framework, as a foundation on which to to build our own prayer and prayer life. Um, And so what has been given to us as something fresh and new has become something stale and mindless. And so for the next couple of weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to take a step back and take a look at this prayer in a fresh way. And through it, understand What it was Jesus was getting at, what does he want us, what what is God concerned about in this world that he wants us to be a part of that work in prayer, what he wants to plant in our own hearts and how we might be better connected with him and enrich and and deepen our lives and conversations with him. And so that's what this whole um, series is going to be about. And um, since it's such a familiar prayer, and since it is our prayer, not the Lord's prayer, it's our prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we are going to pray this prayer together. Now, we're going to use the version that's recorded in Matthew's gospel. And it might be not exactly word for word the way that you learned it, but that's okay because you're going to take a fresh look at it this morning, okay? So Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May I have a seat? So, anybody here ever felt a little bit guilty about your prayer life? I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. You ever find sometimes in your prayer life that your your mind wanders? Am I the only one that experiences that? I've I, I read, I believe it was Henry Nowen. I, I was looking for the quote this week. I couldn't find it. But he, he talks about, I, I believe it was him, but he talks about how when he prays so often, his, it feel, his thoughts feel like they are monkeys jumping from banana tree to banana tree, you know? <laughs> I thought, I could relate to that. I found another quote, Scott McKnight. He said, sometimes prayer is like dry lima beans in a dry mouth on a dry day. <laughs> maybe you felt that way before. Maybe you felt guilty because you know you ought to pray more, but you just don't seem to pray enough. Or maybe that it's hard to pray because you feel so disconnected from God that it's hard to even relate to? And why do I bother anyway? Now, if you've had any of those thoughts or those feelings about prayer, let me tell you this morning, you are not alone. (laughs) You are not alone. And this morning, in starting this series, I want to just look at that very first line, first two sentences, because it, it refers to, and it has to do with what John Ortberg calls the who of our prayers and I think sometimes that dryness, that mindlessness, that all of that, we, comes because we forget who it is that we are praying to. And so this morning we're going to take a look just at that first section so that, um, so that we better, better understand what it is that we are doing when we are praying. And, and who it is that we are praying to. And, and what in the world does it mean when we pray our Father? Our Father. And I hope this morning, as through the rest of the series, to give you some key takeaways, some key thoughts and concepts that will maybe help you deepen your conversation with God and better understand what happens when we pray and why it is that God has invited us into this thing we call prayer so that we might deepen our relationship and our conversation with Him. So this morning, that's what we're going to look at a little bit. Some key takeaways when it comes to this whole idea of what does it mean when we pray our Father? I think the first takeaway is this, simply this, that when we pray our Father, one of the things that happens is we are learning how to approach God personally. When Jesus gave us this prayer, He said, This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. He is reminding us that we are speaking to a person. Not some far-off, vague, amorphous entity or something out there. That God is personal. That prayer is not simply worrying out loud, which sometimes it becomes. Or, Or somehow giving voice to our dreams and our hopes and our aspirations. No, we are talking to a person and He wants us to understand that. That God is personal. Now understand, when Jesus introduced this concept of of praying to our Father, He was introducing a radical concept, a completely radical idea to address God as our Father. Now, throughout Israel's history, God had been referred to as a Father, like a Father, and that father imagery had, had been a part of Israel's history all through, all through their, their history. But what Jesus is saying is now address him as father. That's something completely new because you don't address God that way. God is not to be thought of so intimately. In fact, there was a very common prayer during Jesus' time. It's called the Kaddish. The Kaddish simply meant sanctified. And it was a common prayer. Of the Jewish nation. It went something like this. See if this sounds a little familiar. Magnified and sanctified be his great name. In the world he created according to his great will. May he establish his kingdom during your life and during your days and during the life of all the house of Israel, speedily and in the future, and say, Amen. Does that sound a little familiar? Jesus took that Kaddish, a very familiar and common prayer and he made it personal he says when you pray pray our father and that is such a radical for us maybe we're just so used to the idea we don't think about that but that was a radical idea do you know that one of the biggest complaints and, and criticism the Pharisees had of Jesus was the fact that he referred to God as his father that was blasphemy. And Jesus is teaching His followers, this is how you pray, our Father. Because He says, I want you to understand that God is personal. That, that what you have here now is, is, a, is, is an intimate relationship. In fact, He uses a very intimate word when He uses the word Father. The, the Aramaic word is Abba. And Abba is it's a very, very intimate expression of Father. It's not the formal Father. It, it's closer to the idea of Daddy. Papa, it's not entirely a, a child's word, it's an adult word too, so it's, it's difficult to fully get the full gist of it, but, but it has to do with this personal, intimate relationship. It's a word that you definitely would, even if you referred to God as a father, you would definitely not use this word to express that kind of address to him, and yet that's the one he is. And what Jesus is doing is he is redefining the relationship, What he is doing in this prayer is he is... This prayer actually is is the epitome of what his life and mission was all about on this earth. To reconnect us with God in a way that we've never done before. And the way that he teaches us to address God (coughs) speaks to that relationship. As any way that you address somebody speaks to the level of the relationship. When I get a phone call around 9 o'clock in the evening and they wish to speak to Kenneth Jensen? I know who that is. It's somebody that doesn't know me. It's a telemarketer, because that's the way it's listed in the phone book, and that's where they got the number, and that's even though I signed up for the Do Not Call Us, I still get these calls, and they're always asking for Kenneth Jensen. And I just say, he doesn't live here. (laughs) Because he doesn't. But see, that defines the kind of relationship. They don't know me. I don't know them. I'm a number assigned to a name, Kenneth, who doesn't exist. <laughs> now, in my position, and especially because we're kind of, we're a California church and we're pretty casual around here. And, and we've had um, like friends come here, you know, missionaries from the Philippines. And, and, and one in particular, Nora Reset, she had the hardest time. I mean, she couldn't, because she's used to calling the pastors, Pastor Jensen. You know, by your last name, it's respect and everything. And, and I said, no, 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 you can just call me Ken. She could never get to that point. Even though we're, we're good friends, it was always Pastor Ken, at least Pastor Ken. You know, you got to show some respect here. So, so those who know me fairly well, they can refer to me very often as Pastor Ken. Those who are friends of mine, who are closer to me, I'm just Ken. To my aunt, who to this day cannot call me anything but Kenny, that's who I am. Don't you dare call me Kenny. Don't you dare. (laughs) The way that we address people says a lot about the relationship, right? And those close personal friends, you probably have nicknames for them. And they have nicknames for you. And maybe in your family with your husband or wife or someone very, very close to you, there's even pet names that nobody else gets to use. My granddaughter, to me, is Peanut. I don't know why. She was born. I held her in my arms for the first time and I called her my little peanut and she's been my little peanut ever since. Nobody else gets to call her peanut. In fact, now that she's three years old, I don't get to call her peanut anymore. <laughs> How's my little peanut? I'm Emma Grace Taylor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you're still my peanut. You know? The way that we address people defines the relationship. And when Jesus is saying, when you pray, Pray, our Father. What he's saying is this relationship has now changed. That what I am doing here is I am opening up an intimate and personal relationship between you and God. And it grows out of the very mission that he came to perform. Paul expanded on this in his letter to the Galatians. He wrote, We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world, but when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption. That's what Jesus did. In fact, Paul goes on and amplifies on that. He says, So God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Same word Jesus used. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children. In fact, to the Roman church, he wrote about this idea. He says that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. There's been a fundamental change in the relationship because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. That what he did was he, he tore down that wall of separation. Now, many people, many people think that the, Jesus' primary mission, his whole purpose for coming here was to die on the cross for forgiveness of our sin. But that just isn't the case. It's a big, big part of it. But he didn't just come to forgive us. He came to reestablish and renew and change fundamentally the way that we relate to God from here on out. It's because of what he did on the cross that opened up a brand new relationship. And that relationship is as a child to a loving father. What that speaks to is intimacy. It speaks to authenticity. That you can be exactly who you are. That when you come to him in prayer, you don't have to pretend to be somebody else. You don't have to try and cover up those, those parts of your life that you don't want anybody else to see, much less God, because He already sees them. You can be honest. You can be authentic. You can be real. Because He's your Father. It also speaks to safety and security. It's the one place you can take your failures still be loved. See, just in that one word, there's so much there. And then sometimes we don't come to God in prayer out of fear of what we have done or because things just don't feel right between us right now because of some activities I've been involved in or, or some things that I have said or, or, or done or shouldn't have done. And, and, and he said, no, no. This is a father you can come to no matter what. And you can be real and you can be authentic. You can pour out your heart to him because he understands. You don't have to hold anything back or pretend to be something that you are not. Because he takes you as is and he loves you just the way you are. With those faults, with those failures, with those mistakes, with all those things that have come to separate you from him. Jesus took care of that. Now you have a father. And don't, please don't think of your heavenly father as just a bigger, stronger, more powerful version of your earthly father, because your earthly father was imperfect. And no matter how good your father might have been, he's not the perfect father. And no matter how bad your father might have been, God has come to open up a relationship with a father who is perfect, loving, safe. Safe accepting, forgiving. So just in that, giving us one, that one word, He said this relationship has now changed. The fear of God you once lived with, you don't have to live with anymore. When you pray, pray to your Father. He's teaching us how to be able to come to God in a personal way. When we pray our Father... Another thing that's happening is we are, re- we are being reminded. We remember God's constant presence with us. Now, now this one's going to take a little unpacking because when we pray our Father in heaven, um, usually what comes to mind in that whole thought is God who is far off and distant. You know, heaven, heaven is where we are not. You know, heaven is long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away kind of an idea. You know, heaven, heaven is distant. Heaven, heaven is far away. Heaven is far removed. And and, and, and in truth, it's not, a, it's not a very accurate translation. In fact, the literal translation is that you pray to our Father who is in the heavens. It's plural. And the idea there, and this is where it takes a little unpacking, is that that word heaven or heavens, was used in a lot of different ways. It was used to refer to that expanse that is far beyond our knowledge and understanding, those stars and planets and all that's out there beyond our world. But that same word was often used to refer to the atmosphere around us, and even to the very breath that we would breathe. And so this more literal translation of our Father who is in the heavens saying He is the God who is far beyond our understanding and yet as near as the very breath that I breathe into my lungs. And when Jesus is teaching us to pray our Father who is in the heavens He is teaching us to pray to our Father who is always near us. Never far away. Never outside of our reach. Our Father filling the heavens as near as As the breath we breathe. Right here. Right now. Paul wrote about this. Talked about this. Acts chapter 17. He said. He is not far from any any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. That God is with us. That his presence is with us at every moment. And since that is the case. Then really our task is. If nothing else, to become more aware of His presence, to recognize Him in every aspect of our lives, that our prayer life is not separated from the rest of our life. Our prayer life is our life, and our life is our prayer, because He is with us at every moment. In our community group, we've been um, this last week. We we had a challenge, and and the challenge was how to practice the presence of God. And so we're kind of, all of us are doing this and as much as I remember to do it, but just to, to begin each part of your day, to at each moment of the day, stop for a moment and think, how am I doing this in God's presence? So when I wake up in the morning, how do I wake up in God's presence? When I take my shower in the morning, how do I take a shower in God's presence? I'm washing my body. Lord, cleanse me inside too. (laughs) Because a lot of junk is built up over the day. And I need your cleansing. As you do your job. Pursue your career. How do you do that with Jesus' presence? When you drive in rush hour traffic, how do you do that in Jesus' presence? (laughs) There's a challenge for you. See, the idea is that Jesus is saying, God is with you. He is your Father who is always present. And because of that, your whole life becomes a prayer. And, and that you can look for ways to recognize His presence all around you. And you have kids growing up with the well, um, uh, Where's Waldo books do you remember? For those of you who don't know, aren't familiar with this, um, there was a whole series of books. I think they're still around. They were around when our kids were younger, called Where's Waldo? And it was picture books. But there was this character called Waldo who wore a red and white striped shirt. And the, it was a very busy picture book. But the, the task was to find Waldo in this picture, each page. And sometimes he was really hard to find because he was a pretty ordinary looking guy. And there were a lot of other things on, the, on that page that had red and white stripes on them. But if you looked real hard and you you examined every aspect of it, you began to discover how you could find Waldo. And sometimes, if you can think of it this way, maybe our task as Christ followers is to find, where's God? Where's God in this circumstance? Where's God in this moment? How can he help me? What does he want from me? How can I be his representative to the people around me? Right here, right now. Because that's part of what Jesus is is teaching us. Last week, I read a story. uh, Someone in our church had written that's um, talking about this very idea about um, being prompted. uh, If you weren't here last week, being prompted by God to go to a Taco Bell when he really wanted to go for a burger. And ended up talking with a homeless person and buying a meal and having a great conversation with this person over that. So um, this week, I actually got another one. And uh, anonymously, he said, Hi, Ken. I left church and felt the need for coffee, but I heard God say, go to Starbucks in Vallejo. And after hearing the letter you read this morning, I figured I better not question him. (laughs) So I got my coffee, okay, a mocha. And as I headed out, I knew there'd be a homeless person at the light. Sure enough, a man and a woman were standing there with the sign, hard times, help if you can, God bless. I pulled over and like I usually do, I asked what their story was. The man, Robin, advised me that he'd be on a disability from a bad motorcycle accident. Uh-oh. This is the motorcycle rider, by the way. And his wife, Barbara, had been laid off from her 10 years job, from her job of 10 years. Times are tough. I handed them $20 and told them not to thank me, but to thank God for leading me to them. And that I will pray for them each day. And he writes this. We can choose either to avoid his children in need, or we can seek them out. Jesus said twice in Matthew 6, when you take care of the needy. It's not an option for us. Thanks again for taking care of his sheep. See, when you start to tune in and you start to remember that God is with us, God is with me, and my task at any given moment is to start paying attention and staying connected, see, then my life becomes a prayer to him. And His presence becomes a reality to me. Do you know that the most repeated promise in all of Scripture is not, I will forgive you. It's, I will be with you. And when Jesus gives us this prayer, He is reminding us that we have a Father, a personal God, who is with us at every moment of our life. Jesus said the key to a fruitful life is this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. For if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. If you want to live a fruitful life, remember his presence with you. There's one more thing. When we pray our Father, there's a second sentence to this opening prayer. And it's about directing our hearts towards God's priorities. He teaches us to pray our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is not a word that's used very often in our culture and language today. About the closest thing we know about hallowed is Halloween. And we associate it with ghosts and goblins and trick-or-treaters, okay? But the word has to do with withholding with in highest regard. It has to do with honor and respect. And, and what Jesus is kind of getting across to us is God is not your BFF. <laughs> or your BFFL, That's for life. I'm up on this stuff now. (laughs) Or your BFFE, your best friend for eternity. He he says, you have a personal relationship with him, but understand this is not a relationship of peers. (laughs) It's a relationship with a holy God. And you are not his equal. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It has to do with with recognizing that God's ways are greater than our ways. That He is greater than we are. That He is unique and distinct and wholly separate. He is like no other. And that we would hold His name holy in a culture that profanes and disregards it all the time. But to live in that way. See, for the ancient Jews... The name of God was absolutely sacred and holy. And it goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments. When they first were introduced to their God and God's design and God's rules for living. And they were told, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And the reason is because in the Old Testament, in the Bible, and truly should be in our lives, the name is not just a name. Names had meaning. Names expressed character and nature and qualities and characteristics of a person. And that's why Jesus, when he takes Simon and he changes his name to Peter, because he says, now, Peter, you are a rock. I'm changing you and I'm changing your name. And so in that culture, a name carries all the qualities and characteristics that's behind that name. And that name was held so sacred and so holy we don't even know how it was pronounced. It is not even in the Hebrew Bible spelled out. Just the continents, consonants are used. Constant, consonants, 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 consonants. No vowels. And that's why we don't even know. And that's why we have translations. Some old translations say Jehovah. Newer translations say Yahweh. But the truth is, we don't know how that name is pronounced because it was so sacred and so holy and so not to be misused and profaned that they didn't even want to speak the name for fear of doing that. And then we live in a culture that somebody drops a rock on their toe and what's the first words out of their mouth? Or somebody... Cuts them off from the freeway, and they say, "Mm -hmm." We've taken a sacred and holy, precious, honored name. Made it meaningless, profane. And when Jesus introduces this part to the prayer, he's saying, Yes, you have a God who is personal, who is intimate, who is with you at every moment. But never think you're his peer. (laughs) Never think because of his nearness and that intimacy that he's worthless or cheap. He is holy. He is other. He is so different than we are. And yet, and yet, he is personal. What we're doing there is we are acknowledging God's sovereign wisdom. What we are saying when we say, hallowed be your name is, God, you are greater than I am. And you know better than I do. And I'm so desperately in need of you. And so utterly dependent upon you. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Daily we are prompted. Prompted to yearn for what God yearns for. To pray for what God wants us to pray for. And it changes our whole prayer life. It changes our self-centered always asking for something, prayers, to something much greater. Changes it to a connection and a conversation with a holy God who has made himself accessible and personal to us. And that is powerful stuff. And if your prayers seem dry and lifeless because you don't know him personally and individually and intimately, I hope this message helps you with that. And if your prayers are stymied because you think of him as this tyrant who withholds everything and I got to just beg and do whatever I can to earn something from him, I hope this message changes that. Because in giving us these words, what Jesus is doing is he is taking the holy and greatness of God with the personal and intimate of a father and bringing them together and saying, this is the God you pray to. This is the God who loves you. This is the God that has been given access for you to him. And that's why during this whole series, we're going to take some time, this 48 hours of prayer. And I encourage everyone here, sign up for one of those half hour slots and just experience that. Experience it with your community group, even if you just come on your own. But but start praying in a different way. Just starting with how you understand the God that it is you pray to. And because this prayer has become so familiar, what I'm going to do is we're going to close with this prayer in a slightly changed version. So would you stand with me? We're going to pray this in a new and fresh way. And I hope that the wording of this would change how you think about God. So pray with me. Dear Father, who is always near us, may your name be treasured. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the things we need today to accomplish your will. Forgive us of our sins as we are forgiving those who have offended us. Keep us clear of temptation near you through life's trials, and safe from evil, because you are the one in charge. And the glory is yours forever, which is just the way we want it. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.